I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now reach over there and hug your neighbor. Would you let him know that you love him and you care about him and you appreciate him? Or maybe you've been wrapped up in the house too much with them, so just kind of <laughs> go hug somebody else, right? <laughs> All right. I was going to start a new series today and, and want to hold off on it and uh, get that going next week because I know several people wanted to be here to be able to hear that. And we hope our weather will let us do it. But today I just want to, uh, want to do several, uh, a series of messages scattered throughout the year. There are certain times when we're in between series and these messages will fit very well. And uh, they'll come under the title, Hello, My Name is Jesus. <laughs> I think that's an interesting way to start it, huh? Hello, my name is Jesus. Uh, we have a little name tag that says Jesus on it. And uh, today I want to talk to you out of John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go there. Uh, we don't have an outline for you because this is a sermon I just put together yesterday. So uh, bear with me. And uh, it may be a little rougher than I like, but uh, we'll, we'll see where, I know the Holy Spirit will take care of that. But uh, chapter 1, and uh, we'll also be in chapter 6 of John, so if you want to hold your finger there, we'll get back and forth to those. Uh, 6, chapter 6, John 1, 1 and 2, and then chapter 6, 25 through 69, so it'll just be chapter 6 mainly. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up different verses there. Uh, I read a quote this week, Marshall, uh, or, or in preparation for this yesterday, and have read this quote before, but Marshall McLuhan, he wrote, The greatest obstacle to communication is the illusion that it has been achieved. The greatest obstacle to communication is the illusion that it has been achieved. In any home, you can see this play out. Wives will talk to husbands, and they will perceive that they heard them. But if you've been married longer than a day, you understand that they don't hear you. <clears throat> Men are, have, are notorious for not hearing things. We think we hear them, but we don't usually hear them. I'm reminded quite often, as my wife laughs uncontrollably, about how I don't listen to things. Because I will hear something, and I'll repeat it to her, and it wasn't even close to what was said. But boy, it sure hits the funny bone in her life. But I've been topped by my three-year-old granddaughter, who, after three or four days locked into this house, and can't get out, I called and said, Kelsey, how are you today? And for the next few minutes, it was yada, 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 yada. I had no idea what she said. My son got on the phone. He said, Dad, we're popping popcorn. I said, all of that to say we're popping popcorn. But uh, nevertheless, the greatest obstacle to communication is the illusion that it has been achieved. And really, that's the goal of communication is to clarify a message. Amen. And when we speak, we want our message to be heard. We want it to be received. When we write, we want those thoughts to be grasped. And when someone's speaking to us, we want them to speak in a language that we can understand. It's frustrating when people speak in coded language or have insider information and, and we don't understand. And in communication, we want to understand and to be understood. And the Apostle John is no different and as we launch into this book today, 
Uh, I love the Gospel of John. If you have a new believer who is wanting to start reading the Bible, take them to the Gospel of John. Have them read the Gospel of John over and over and over and over and over. It's one of the best places for a new believer to start. Uh, John, as a gospel, differs from the other three. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John differs from them. Matthew wrote uh, to his fellow Jews, had them in mind, and emphasized that Jesus of Nazareth had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He was the King of Kings. Mark wrote for a Gentile audience, the busy Romans, presenting Jesus as the suffering servant ministering to needy people. Luke wrote the gospel for the Greeks, introduced Jesus as the sympathetic son of man, uh, stressing the humanity of Jesus. John writes to both Jews and Gentiles, presents Jesus as the son of God, emphasizing that he is divine. The first three gospels major on describing events in the life of Jesus. John then focuses on the meaning of those events. John's gospel is not so much biographical as it is a theological argument for the fact that Jesus is God. He made a bold proclamation in chapter 20 and verse 31 when he said this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to believe Jesus is God. He writes with a clear evangelistic purpose. And to accomplish that purpose, he records these I am statements I mentioned earlier. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. The I am, as he uses these passages in his gospel recalls the God's revelation of his name when Moses said in Exodus, who will I tell Pharaoh sent me? And what did God say? I am sent you. And so he's referring back so that the Jews would capture the essence and the power and the majesty of that phrase. He records seven miracles or signs pointing to Jesus's divine nature. Changing water into wine, healing a man's son, healing a lame man, multiplying bread and fish, walking on water, healing a blind man, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus possessed power over nature, and that was something only God could do. The greatest sign that Jesus was divine is his resurrection from the tomb. That is our only hope. That's our only launching pad as a believer is that Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? Without it, why do we meet here? (laughs) Why do we get out on a snowy, street-covered Sunday and work our way to church? Because Jesus rose from the grave. That's why, and we believe it, and that's why we're here. John wants us to be, uh, and he wants to be unmistakably clear, that Jesus is the Son of God, in whom that we should put all of our belief in. He offers convincing and compelling proofs that Jesus should be our God. And it's not the end of the story. It's really only the beginning. But he introduces this in an interesting way. <clears throat> Many have called this, uh, these first couple of verses the prologue to the Gospel of John. Uh, theological writers, Augustine Chrysostom, said this about these two verses. 
It is beyond the power of man to speak as John does in his prologue. John Calvin writes this, Rather should we be satisfied with this heavenly oracle, knowing that it says much more than our minds can take in. This introduction is far more than that to this gospel. It's really a dramatic summary of who Jesus is. And we need to understand that in this gospel, he introduces Jesus as the Son of God, and he uses it by pairing words together. And there are seven paired words. Word and God, we're going to look at today, created and made, light and life, received and recognized, believe and become, born and God, grace and truth. And over the scattered over the year, we're going to look at all seven of those paired words. But today we'll focus on word and God. God communicates with us. We begin by looking at that first pair of words. In John 1, 1 and 2, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they make a slight deviation of this passage. In the beginning was the Word, as ours says, but in the King James, I mean in the uh, Jehovah's Witness Bible, it says in the beginning, uh, excuse me, it says was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God, and the Word, and the Word was a God. They've added the word a in that phrase. And so in other words, we're all gods. But if you understand Jesus the way I understand him and the way I believe you understand him, it's that he was the only God. There's three the Father, Son, and the Spirit, but He was nevertheless God. And this verse really launches us there. John Calvin calls this the speech of God. One commentary called this verse the most compact and pulsating theological statement in all of Scripture. But John follows the effective communication techniques. He first of all gets their attention. It's been said that the first 90 seconds is the most important time of a speech, and the first 25 words are the most crucial. A speaker may have 30 minutes to hold the audience's attention, but he only has a minute and a half to get their attention. Got to get your attention. Any good speaker needs a good opening line. John had a great one. <laughs> he starts out with those three well-familiar words in the beginning. We read them earlier because in Genesis 1, it caused the Jew to remember the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning. Not to be confused with the first baseball game mentioned in the Bible in the big inning. <laughs> ah, you are listening. Good. It's, it's good to see. But in the beginning suggests not only the start of the gospel story, but the creation of the world as well. In the beginning, there's a connection. And John describes Jesus as existing from the very beginning. He's the ultimate source of all things. Then next, he uses language that everybody can understand. Here is Jesus, Jesus as the Word with a capital W. And when it says, He was the Word. Just so we're clear, the Word refers to Jesus. John wrote in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
He calls Jesus the Word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God in the person of Jesus, as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus himself in his coming, working, teaching, dying, and rising was the final and decisive message of God. And what God had to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what he did. The Greek word used for the word, word, (laughs) is logos. You've probably heard that used before. To the Jews, logos had roots in the Old Testament. It communicated power and the power of God. It embodied the creative energy of God. As we read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, and then we, you go right on through the creation story. The psalmist uh, writes this in Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. To the Greeks, logos was more of a philosophical principle than a power. The word embodied thought, wisdom, reason, rationality. As far back as 560 B.C., Herculetus, the Greek philosopher, had said that the only permanent and lasting reality in the flux of constant change was the logos, the reason of God, which controlled and guided this this stream of change. We've got to understand that you and I have no hope without the compelling word of God. And who is it? It's Jesus. Without a connection to the Word, we really don't have any hope. You want, you want hope? You want to find relief? You want to find uh, healing? You want to find whatever you need to find? You'll find it in the Word, in Jesus. He's there for us. He will always be there for us. In fact, Jesus says of Himself in uh, chapter 14 and verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus was and is the message. John goes beyond the familiar concept of Logos that his Jewish and Gentile readers would have had and presents Jesus as a personal being. In John 14, Jesus says this. When he answered, Do you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. It was John's flash of genius. In one word, he communicates with three different groups of people, the Jew, the Greek, the Christian, that Jesus is the gospel. Then he states his main point. Again, back up in verse 1. And the word was with God. (coughs) The literal translation could be the word was towards God. The whole existence of the Word is oriented toward the Father and is in, is in eternal, active communion with Him. The Word is in the presence of God face to face with Him. In Genesis 1.26, the creation story, we see these words, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The Hebrew word for God used here is Elohim, which is a plural word. So John's main point here is that Jesus is God. Then he moves on to reaffirm the main point when he says, and the word was God. It's the climactic statement in John speaking of the word. And that uh, that can be said, all that can be said uh, about God could be said about the word. He reaffirms that main point that Jesus is God. And then finally he restates what 
what you have said when he says, He was with God in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was there in the beginning. And it's the word He that we should focus on and pay attention to. He's saying that the Word is not an it. It's not an abstract. It's not a theory. The Word is not just a power or philosophical principle. The Word is a person. God has come to us personally. And His name is Jesus. And the context of the message was Christ Himself. The man was the message. Jesus is God's Word to us. And when God decided to give His final message to mankind, He didn't just send it in a book. That came on later. He came Himself to deliver the message. Is that not exciting? But what are the implications of the Word is God? Well, first of all, God has spoken. Our Almighty God is not speechless. He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is revealing Himself to us in a language that we can understand. And if you want to know what God sounds like, listen to the Word, Jesus. If you want to know what God wants you to do, read the Word, the words of Jesus. If you're looking for a sign from heaven, the Word is, is the roadmap for you to follow. And if you want to know how to get to heaven, follow the one who came from heaven, Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the heart and mind of God. What do we know about words? From the heart, the mouth speaks. Much of our words reveal to others our hearts and our minds. I've challenged you from day one into this year, 2011, to be an Ephesians 4 church. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but such are as good for edification, for the building up of the body. We need to spend time talking to each other in encouraging terms, not discouraging terms. If we use sarcasm to make our point, it never is received right. I'm a living proof of that. <coughs> I used to always use sarcasm, and I stopped doing it because I realized that nobody received it the way I intended it. So don't throw it out there. Amen? Find a good word to say, and, and do what your mother said. If you can't say something good, don't say it at all. You're right. Oh, mamas, they're smart, aren't they? John 14, 24 says this, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So he's staying connected to the Father's purpose and the Father's direction in His life. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. If you're hungry for God, read the words of Jesus. And then next, Jesus is, is, is the complete Word. A Word is composed of letters. And Jesus said it this way in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So He's saying, I was from letter A to Z. I was from the beginning and to the end. I've been here, and I am here, and I will be here. So if you're looking for answers, you'll find them in the Word, Jesus. If you're looking for meaning, you'll find them in the Word, Jesus. If you're looking for direction, you will follow that Word, Jesus. But there, there comes a warning with this. His words are difficult to follow. In John 6, and I'd have you turn there. John 6 is one of the most moving chapters in Scripture. It, move, it moves people from... High to low. In fact, we looked there this morning a little bit in Sunday school. In this chapter, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, proclaiming that He is the bread of life. And the crowd around Jesus had grown quite large, and, and why not? He had fed them, displayed great miracles, uttered powerful teachings, and then He challenged them in chapter 6, verse 53, when He said, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. This was Jesus' way of saying, 
You have all, you have to take all of me, not just the feeding and the miracles. You have to cross the line of faith, accept my words, and follow them completely. Do you think all the people in attendance that day signed up? <laughs> well, if you jump down to verse 60, you'll see it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Hard meaning not difficult to understand, but hard difficult to follow. <coughs> Oftentimes, when parents have to discipline their children, they think their parents are unreasonable. They believe that you're unreasonable because you're asking them to do something contrary to their nature and contrary to what they want to do. Well, this is the same thing that was happening with Jesus. He said, if you want to follow me, then there's going to be a price you have to pay. Well, that weeds out the group pretty fast, doesn't it? It really does. Because look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. <laughs> so Jesus' words are difficult to follow. Why? Because the word forces people to pick a side. He challenges people to make a stand. With Jesus, there is no middle of the road, no gray area, no fence straddling. With Jesus, it's all or nothing, life or death, with him or against him, stay or leave, follow him or withdraw from him. There's no middle ground. You're either in or you're out. You decide. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But don't let us come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that door open to us. He didn't intend to. While there's a warning, hallelujah, there's a benefit. From our passage in John chapter 6. Because here we find Jesus has the words of life. But look at verse 63 of John 6. It says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Please don't misunderstand. Jesus, the word embodies information but that's not his main purpose or his main message jesus the word brings life there's the message the crowd leaves after jesus made that 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 startling requirement he is alone he's left alone with the 12 and jesus asked them in verse 67 you do you do not want to leave me too do you and then peter Answers in 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Many things Peter did, didn't understand. Many things that you and I do for the Lord we don't understand. He was bewildered and puzzled as anybody else. After watching miracles and hearing the teachings. But, but he knew that the one standing before him, the word, had the words of life and that he was God. It was a beautiful confession of faith. Peter would follow Jesus anywhere and if needed, he would willingly die for Jesus, which he ultimately did. And it's going to come a time, folks, when you and I are going to have to make that kind of stand ourselves. Now get ready. You might say, well, preacher, I, I don't, I, what are we talking about? You better get in the Word a little bit, long, a little bit deeper. Because <laughs> this is going to get worse before it gets better. And the only time it gets better is when we get to do this. 
some glad morning when this life is over. What? I'll fly away. <laughs> there you go. Then it gets really good. Amen? In Jesus, we have the words of life. We find the answers to the deepest needs of modern man. If you're looking for answers to life's questions, if you're looking for the hope of the world, if you're looking for the one who lifts every burden, if you're looking for the giver of eternal life, His name <coughs> is Jesus Christ. And then I'll close this morning with letting you know that Jesus has the last word. He will always have the last word. In a lot of conversations, especially heated and controversial ones, the one who usually has the last word seems to win. And if you live with an obstinate mate, they're going to always have the last word because they're always going to be right. You'll know that you've matured when it really doesn't matter to you who has the last word. How about that one? Let that one bounce around as a BB in a boxcar. When I was a teenager, I heard an expression, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Any of you ever hear that one? The statement is really only two-thirds true. God said it, that settles it, and whether I believe it or not, Jesus is going to have the last word. <laughs> He's going to have the last word. And what will be His last words to you? Will it be, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. I have a room prepared especially for you. Or, will it be, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is God. He's communicating to us in a language that we can understand. He has spoken the words of life. And so the question of the hour is, do you understand that he is God? And will you believe in him? And will you follow him? Pray with me, would you please? Father, I ask you this morning to just simply uh, respond into the hearts of your people here. God, we need a special touch from your hand. We need a special touch from your spirit. And Father, we need a special touch in each of our lives. Sometimes we forget in the hustle and bustle of life as we're just doing life together to not speak good words, to not speak kind words. So God, I'm asking you today that you would minister to each heart, that you would touch each life. and Father, you would be real in each of us. And Father, if there's an, any person in this room that needs to make a decision of any kind, that Father, as we offer that invitation and we do it every time we gather, because we never want to go away from here without at least giving someone that opportunity. If you respond outwardly, I hope more respond inwardly. Because ultimately God is between you and them. But there's something about a public decision that holds us accountable. And Satan takes notice as well. And so Father, when we feel the pressure from the devil and we feel him working on us, our faces should break out in a smile because you're finding us worthy to take the test. And God, I just pray that people in this room understand that it's the Word, it's Jesus that is our hope. It is Jesus that is our power. It is Jesus that is our Savior. And God, today, 
move in our hearts. And if somebody needs to move forward and say, Lord, I'm going to take a stand for you, may it be today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this song. And if God's tugging on your heart to respond, would you do so? Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Amen. Glad you're here today. Uh, would you be seated just for a couple of minutes and let me mention a couple of announcements and then we'll be off and on our way. Praise God. Has it snowed at all since we've been in church today? <laughs> it looks like the sun might be trying to shine out there. That'd be an awesome thing. All right. Again, next week, ugly tie contest. Don't forget to bring and wear your ugly tie. And uh, let's see how ugly a tie we can get. Yes, sir, Brother Tyler. Can you be an ugly tie? I don't know how that works. <laughs> I believe that boy could pull it off, though, couldn't he? <laughs> well, we're going to have to wear an ugly tie. How's that? Okay. But to do that next week will be a lot of fun. And uh, also, we'll start our new uh, sermon series. And uh, once upon a marriage, I do have some invite cards.